Hello everybody and welcome to this week's episode of Activist Lawyer. I am delighted to be joined in the studio today by Emma McElveen. Emma, thank you for coming. <laughs> Hi Sarah, it's great to be in Newry today. Bit Woo-hoo. of a change from Ballymena direction. Absolutely, and we're delighted again to have you in the studio. A lot of our um, episodes recently have been done via Zoom or via phone call, which is great and, and fine and we appreciate that people can't be here, but it's so great to have, have you, you present here today. So just a little bit of background about Emma. So Emma is a barrister who primarily specialises in employment law. She has a special interest in pregnancy discrimination and vulnerable claimants. Prior to qualifying as a barrister, Emma was a Kennedy Scholar at Harvard University. She now publishes a monthly employment law newsletter known as McElveen on Employment and was a co-founder of the Advanced Employment Course at the Institute for Professional Legal Studies. In 2021, she was shortlisted for a Next 100 Years Inspirational Women in Law Award and recently completed a global leadership programme delivered by Cambridge University. Alongside her employment practice, she is very interested in medical legal issues and as a result, she currently serves on the Committee of the Medical Legal Society in Northern Ireland and is appointed to NIPEC as a non-executive lay member. Outside of the bar, she is a mother of three, which we, we spoke about a lot earlier, and is passionate about country music. Woohoo! <laughs> We've a lot in common, Emma. Mother of three in country music, reflexology, and breastfeeding. Emma, thank you so much again for coming. No problem. Um, so we we had a little chat earlier before we come on here, um, but just if you could take our les- listeners through, I guess your your career journey, how you ended up practicing in the area that that you practice in, and um, a little bit of your background yes um so uh, i suppose where did i start it's been um some journey to get um to here and it's still continuing um Mm -hmm. as you know i go through this um so where did i start where did i come from so i'm from balamina direction and i had no family connections in law and really um before i got into the process of qualifying Mm -hmm. um my experience of law was literally from what you watched on tv (laughs) um or just generally within society and you had asked me Sarah in advance what made you get into law Mm -hmm. and where did that come from and uh, the first thing that came to mind was a history teacher actually in school and I always loved history I always loved to argue and he was the one that said to me why don't you consider it Mm -hmm. a career in law so um, I went to Ballymena Academy and they facilitated work experience and my first work experience was actually in criminal law it was a Mm -hmm. murder trial and I was just absolutely fascinated by it and that was the start of my journey in terms of how I got into it um, now obviously I've came a long way I, I don't practice criminal now yeah. um, and I've ended up uh, in an employment uh, law practice primarily and where did that come from well I suppose at the institute by the time I got there I really enjoyed the employment uh, course mm-hmm. and also my master primarily practicing that so through pupil age and seeing her in action and being out um, and learning under her I really developed a love of employment law and I've now ended up um, going into it myself and establishing a practice in that area. Fantastic and you can really see that you have developed a love in it because you kind of go 
beyond, I suppose, what we would traditionally see as a, a barrister and what that profession entails with your, I think it started as a, a blog, did you say? And now it's your your newsletter um, that you sent through and we receive it and it's very, very informative. Um, but you're also um, very interested in education and that piece, training and, and providing kind of additional resources to companies or people interested in getting in the area. How do you balance that part of your work with your actual caseload and, and representing you know your clients and taking instructions from solicitors in specific matters it must be difficult um well i suppose where that journey started um actually covid had a lot to do with mm-hmm. it um ironically so i would say that there have been silver linings yeah. um which have come out of covid for me i've always been interested in the education side of things um when i was on pupil age and in my early years at the bar um i was a tutor at Queen's Mm -hmm. and I loved um, getting back to Queen's to tutor people in law and I loved that engagement and really in Northern Ireland when Covid hit um, our tribunals um, effectively shut their doors um, while they kind of navigated the pandemic and you know decided what way um, we were going to move forward and at the time I thought what am I going to do? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to be in the tribunal um, as I once was. So it gave me time and space to really think about, um, you know, what, you know, I'm doing, um, how can I, like, contribute and move forward. And really, it started off as a way to keep me sane um, during the pandemic when the tribunals were closed. Yeah. And that was where... Um, I had initially thought about publishing an employment law book for mm-hmm. Northern Ireland, um, but whenever I explored that, and because of COVID and the fast-changing nature of this area, I thought, by the time I publish a book, mm-hmm. this is going to be out of date. So just during the pandemic, when I was locked down, I was like, well, do you want to know what? I will start to write um, bits and pieces on LinkedIn about recent um, cases and uh issues that were arising Mm -hmm. that as employment lawyers we had never um, been asked before and I know I had watched other chambers in England such as Cloisters Mm -hmm. and they had published various um, guides on topical issues that were arising um, and a lot of these issues were impacting women Mm -hmm. Um, you know how do employers navigate pregnant women in the workplace and how do they manage Mm -hmm. that risk of Covid so there were really interesting issues and I really just took an interest in that and then I started to publish my own employment law newsletter where I combined um, interesting cases Mm -hmm. from GB, NI and ROI because I'm qualified now across both and I thought um, I I use it to kind of develop my knowledge and I thought well I love this, I'm gathering it and doing it anyway so I might as well um, share Share um, the resource to others and it has proved very beneficial Absolutely, it's a fantastic resource and sometimes maybe I'm not I mean employment law, some people who you know have been considering going into that can maybe see it as a bit dry or you know a bit procedural but really when we read through your newsletter and other people who are sharing it we we'd Mary Kitson on here that was talking about some really interesting cases that came before the the commission in Northern Ireland around discrimination etc I mean it's I suppose you're starting to shine a light on issues that as you said weren't really highlighted before and clients themselves are coming out um you know before I think there was a lot of anonymity we didn't really know much about um cases around discrimination being brought to the fore but it seems to be a lot more high profile now is that something that you're seeing in terms of um issues affecting women in particular in the workplace 
Um, yeah, and I, I think topically, um, because there is an interaction, mm. my background as well, my degree in Queen's, I, I did it in law and politics. Mm. Okay. Uh, and I think a lot of these issues, you see the overlap mm-hmm. between legally what's happening in terms of how the case law is developing, but also um, politically in terms of how women um, and organisations are pushing for change yeah. in certain areas. So, for example, like Employers for Childcare in Northern mm-hmm. Ireland have done great work in terms of law lobbying mm-hmm. um, for more access to childcare mm-hmm. support um, for women and then I think of the likes of who you see on Twitter yeah. um, the founder of Pregnant Men Screwed Fantastic, yeah um, She's done a lot on and I Huge think she's lobbying, yeah. yeah recently published a book on the motherhood mm-hmm. penalty mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot of like positive things that are being done um, in terms of highlighting mm-hmm. um, discrimination uh, issues for women within the workplace mm-hmm. um, and trying to make change and like she has various petitions which she shares about trying to increase the time limit from three months to six months to give um, people that are potentially facing pregnancy discrimination Mm -hmm. more time Mm -hmm. to um, seek legal advice and consider whether they have a case Mm -hmm. to take forward because you know yourself Sarah Mm -hmm. um, as a mother of three um, you know it is a lot to try to balance motherhood um, with work and if you find yourself in a position where you're facing um, a challenging situation in work mm-hmm. and you're in the middle of trying to navigate life with a newborn and breastfeeding and everything else that comes with it mm-hmm. um, it's very challenging. It's very challenging and I suppose that leads me on to, to our next discussion about that and both mothers of three we've, <laughs> we've dis- discovered that and I mean that whole concept around trying to achieve a work-life balance I mean how do you find that in in practice I mean you've you've a very young baby what's your wee Uh, Matilda's 10 months um, months. now um five three under three Three under three, under three. Well, I can say that that is, um, I, I don't know how you manage that, but uh, you were talking there about during COVID, having a bit of time and space, I guess, to reflect on, on things. And, and then, you know, out of that came your, your newsletter and other avenues. How do you find time and space to balance? Because you're, you're back at work now, you're pretty much full on, aren't you? And yeah, yeah, how does it work for you? Um, so I think um, I have to acknowledge that at times it feels like there's no balance um, <laughs> and there's a lot of juggling of yeah. plates. Um, and we had discussed this this morning, Sarah, that uh, the importance of a support team around you. Yeah. And it really does um, take a village to mm-hmm. raise kids. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't do what I do um, without the support of my husband primarily and others in the background. Um, and what I was saying is that a lot of these issues, it's not just a female issue yeah. um, and I think um, in 2022 you see fathers that are wanting to be more engaged and um, co-parent mm-hmm. um, and we really I feel as women need that support mm-hmm. uh, and I, I certainly do in order um, to do what I do and I am grateful and I suppose this links back to employment and flexibility and um, to the support that my husband's employer has shown. Yeah. He has been very flexible. And I shared a story with you this morning mm-hmm. pre-COVID, a time where I was called into court for an urgent review. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had no childcare arranged that morning. And Ben literally had to take Annie um, <laughs> and the receptionist in his work, mind her, while I did the urgent <laughs> review in court and rushed back across the street um, to collect Annie. Oh. Um, 
from his place of work. So, um, you know, that's the reality yeah. behind the scenes at times in terms of what it takes to balance um, mm-hmm. being a mother at the bar and uh, all the other responsibilities that go with it. But then on the other end, um, because of the flexibility that goes with self-employment, mm-hmm. um, on the weeks that you've no substantive hearings, yeah. there is a bit more flexibility to come to Newry yeah. um, to speak with you or work on my employment law newsletter. And that's why the area of employment, mm-hmm. I really enjoy it. I find it really works for family life because mm-hmm. generally substantive hearings will generally start at 10, mm-hmm. finish at 4. And there's a lot of advisory opinion writing that I can do outside yeah. And I can do in the evenings whenever the kids are in bed. So I really feel I've found an area that works yeah. for me. I love it. I enjoy it. And you can, um, although at times tough, you can make it work and you, you can, can make balance it, work. it. And I wonder has COVID, because we worked, we changed our whole routines and schedules to work through that, um, you know, balancing children and um, ongoing work from home. And do you think, though, the workplace in general has become more responsive to flexibility and to changing our kind of old habits and the, the the kind of more rigid structures around work. I mean, nine to five in in most um, areas just doesn't seem to be to be workable anymore. Um, have you noticed that in terms of the clients or the interactions you're having with others who might seek your advice in employment law? Is flexibility something that we're seeing a lot more of in respect of all employees, not just mothers or parents? Yeah, um, I think it's a catch twenty two. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, virtual working has enabled workplaces generally to be more flexible. Mm-hmm. You know, i.e., we don't all have to be in a physical location or be mm-hmm. in the same place uh, to be able to do our jobs anymore. Yeah. You know, we can connect virtually, and that has its pros and cons. Sure. Um, because yes, it's more flexible mm-hmm. in the sense that you can be wherever you can join on. But I think a key um issue is the boundary. Mm -hmm. because we're no longer nine to five I feel like work blurs with family life at times and it's managing I think expectations Uh um, of employees and clients from our end as well because I think across the board um, employers are generally more open to try to work more flexibly Mm -hmm. but it's trying to manage that and make that work for business as well so um, there's pros and cons to it Um, I can see that and even it falls on you to become more of a manager of your own time as an individual and making sure that you're not overworking too which can easily done you know after the kids go to bed well I'm gonna just check in here a few emails that I wasn't able to get to today and you could find yourself there in the evening maybe two or three hours later still sitting there which you know the odd time fine but I think you just need to to really watch that and try and make sure you switch off and take a step back and realize how many hours you are working and you know I guess won't work for every every industry or whatever but if it does I suppose it's good that employers are willing to embrace some level of flexibility now going forward yep. um, and, and we mm-hmm. do see on that like even in Northern Ireland um, some firms have been embracing mm-hmm. the four day working week uh-huh. um, so I think it has started conversations um, about new ways of working and people are trying at least different ways and yeah. trying to find what works for them and their business. Absolutely and that's a really I've seen it um, a few of the I think the 
pregnant and screwed campaign some of the people involved in that have been exploring this um, the four day a week and Marie Hutchinson who had been on from JMK explained to us previously in an episode how that's been working for them in the legal industry so lots of ideas coming up and also this week we are recording today's episode on um, it's the day after International Women's Day 2022 I think the hashtag um, is break the bias and um, so so many matters um, affecting women and girls you know, around the world now and we're also celebrating um, achievements and people who have broken barriers um, you know, to become successful and to become leaders in their industries. But just could we talk a little bit about what issues um, still arise for women within employment? What barriers are women still facing, if any? You know, so maybe you could take us through that a little bit. Yeah, um, so when I was thinking about this question, I kind of had three kind of key areas that come mm-hmm. up um, for me that we see regularly. Um, so firstly, um, sex discrimination generally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would involve less favourable treatment in the workplace on the basis of being female in comparison to male colleagues. Mm-hmm. So this can come up on things like um, less favourable treatment in terms of pay, benefits, promotion, um, roles, um, and even sexism um, and remarks that are made. Um, I know there was a case recently that made the headlines in Northern Ireland. I'm sure people have mm-hmm. come across it, the case of Brona Murray. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was reading the press release on that and she brought a sex discrimination claim and one of the comments that was made to her, um, she was described as a cougar. Mm-hmm. So you do still see um, sexism like that within workplaces and claims being brought as a result of comments like yeah. that um, being made. Uh, secondly, uh, pregnancy discrimination. Um, there are still um, a lot of issues around that in terms of how employees navigate mm-hmm. uh, maternity leave, um, like right from the start of pregnancy. So how do they manage feeling sick um, mm-hmm. at the beginning and people that maybe suffer from sickness throughout their pregnancy and trying to manage that uh, with their responsibilities in the workplace, uh, taking time out to attend scans, etc. And then um, actually going off um, and, you know, going down to statutory maternity and then navigating the return back um, and maybe coming back to find that the role doesn't quite look like what Mm -hmm. it uh, once did prior to them going off Um, and even um, as you know yourself it's not easy becoming a mother in that transition and people you know can find themselves suffering from postnatal depression and um, dealing with all that and the emotions that come um, can result in you know situations where women do face um, discrimination Um, thirdly a big one equal pay Um, and this uh, does go on um, and there are cases pending. Now, equal pay cases are complex mm-hmm. and they're costly. They take a long time to pursue, um, but there are equal pay mm-hmm. issues and that's really where, because um, I think there's confusion at times as to, well, what is equal pay? Yeah. Is it the same as the, you know, the gender pay disparity stuff that you would see a lot of um, material being produced on? But equal pay when it comes to law is where a woman is pointing to a man and saying, I do similar Mm -hmm. or like work, work of equal value to that man and I'm not getting paid the same. same. And I think culturally in Northern Ireland, um, it's quite uncomfortable at times for um, women to talk about money Mm -hmm. and to talk about the salary um, that they receive or benefits they receive. So Mm -hmm. um, that is an issue. 
um, there are cases um, and culturally a lot of these issues um, it's not just about issues within the profession it goes to um, the wider issues that women face in Mm -hmm. society Mm -hmm. in general and I think that's been highlighted by the events at the bar and the Law Society have held this week for International Women's Day. And just just touching on that again within this our industry and within law um, I mean do you think that women tend to practice within certain areas or are kind of um, maybe forced into practice within certain areas that they may not really see career progression as much as they would if they were in something like, I don't know, corporate, something more corporate? Or is that still a thing? Because, you know, it certainly was when I started off in practice. Um, I don't know whether you you can see that within the bar or, you know, within your, your fellow practitioners in law. Um, I, I think at times there is a perception mm-hmm. um, that still exists that women should practice in certain areas mm-hmm. and the key go-to ones that you always hear is a oh, woman should practice in family law. Family. Um, yeah. I, I do think, and there's nothing wrong with that, mm-hmm. and there's some mm-hmm. people that really enjoy family law and mm-hmm. that's for them and they go into it. Um, I do think it is changing mm-hmm. um, across the board and you do see women um, you know, practice in different areas such uh-huh. as commercial law, um, employment law, immigration, Mm-hmm. and there is more of a diversity um, but whenever um, you go into um, the commercial courts at times or civil courts um, you know there's at times depending on where you are um, less women in them areas than what you would see if you went into a court mm-hmm. that practice family for mm-hmm. example mm-hmm. Interesting isn't it so um, the other thing you, you mentioned um, one of the campaigns there in the UK so you do see a lot of press and I have seen a lot of petitions come my way just around improving you know um, the work and life for, for pregnant women in the workplace. And I think that's a really to- um, important topic just to, to stick to as well. And I know you mentioned it there as one of the issues that still affect women in work. But um, just, I suppose, on a practical level, what should pregnant women know when it comes to employment in um, the workplace? Well, Northern Ireland specifically. So I made a wee list of things mm-hmm. that I thought would be useful for people to know. Um, and outside employment law, they might not be aware of. Mm-hmm. So firstly, what I would say is that there are major differences between the employment laws in Northern Ireland and GB. So if you Google pregnancy discrimination, you tend to get a lot of articles that exist online that refer to the Equality Act. Okay. So the Equality Act does not apply to Northern Ireland and we have separate pieces of legislation mm-hmm. um, that apply to us. So technically we might have the same rights but they're mm-hmm. just under different banners of okay. things. So it's important if you are looking on Google that you are looking at the right um, resource for your jurisdiction. Um, so the Equality uh, Commission for Northern Ireland has great guides mm-hmm. on everything you need to know about pregnancy discrimination or maternity discrimination so I would really highlight that um, to, as a good starting point um, also in terms of practical tips that people may not be aware of I would say that pregnant um, employees have the right to be paid for antenatal appointments um, not everybody's aware of that mm-hmm. and you know maybe think oh I have to take so annual important. leave or yeah, something yeah, yeah. Um, but you actually have a right to be paid and if you're not you can bring a claim in that regard mm-hmm. um, also for employers a key thing to think about is conducting risk assessments mm-hmm. for their pregnant employees and this has been a big one uh, throughout COVID because as far as I'm aware within the health service because obviously that's a unique context where 
where you know arguably um, if you're a nurse working in a hospital for example um, you've more chance of being exposed to COVID um, so they have to think very carefully about um, how they protect mm-hmm. um, women in that position and as far as I understand it I know up until recently anyway they were going off at the 28 week okay. mark yeah. um, and it, I'm not saying that's the blanket position across the board mm-hmm. um, and there are depending on the nature of your workplace there's ways and means to be able to facilitate mm-hmm. a pregnant woman to work beyond that um, safely but it's something that employers should be turning their mind to mm-hmm. in risk assessments um, also your holiday entitlement legally accrues during your maternity mm-hmm. um, so very important very important um, also for because we think a lot in employment tribunals about employees and their rights um, but you know increasingly um, we're seeing women work in different types mm-hmm. of environments so we see more kind of uh, women working, example, as virtual assistants or setting up their own businesses mm-hmm. off the back of COVID and perhaps they're self-employed. And uh, people, um, I think, across the board maybe aren't always aware that if you are self-employed, there's no entitlement to statutory maternity pay because obviously you're not employed. Yeah. But there is a benefit called statutory maternity allowance, okay. which self-employed people can apply for. So as a barrister, for example, during my maternity leaves, I was entitled to statutory maternity allowance. And it basically, it pays you the same as what you would get in your statutory maternity. And you're also allowed the 10 keeping in touch days um, as well. So that's important to know. Very um, you don't uh, necessarily have to be an employee to be discriminated against. Um, so, for example, a key case in that regard mm. um, was one taken by the Equality Commission on behalf of Laura Grisaiti. And she was a seasonal worker mm-hmm. and she was able to benefit from the maternity protection. So um, just don't automatically think, oh, I'm not an employee, yeah. so I'm not entitled to protection. Um, always, you know, seek advice mm-hmm. if you are facing um, an unequal situation or sure. less favourable treatment in the workplace. Yes, so I, I think that's a pretty good overview. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, time limits as well. It is three months um, to bring okay. a claim. Um, so that would be three months from the date that you're dismissed. Okay. Or three months from the last act of discrimination. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is... Um, it's very short, isn't it? It is short. Yeah. Um, so, and I, like I've, as I said through this pro- podcast, when you have so much going on exactly. and navigating a newborn, mm-hmm. if you're facing this kind of situation, it's important that you seek advice and specialist employment. Advice yeah. from a solicitor um, as you go through it, or even when you're trying to navigate it in the workplace and you're maybe thinking about raising a grievance mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. trying to address it informally, um, it does no harm to have a chat with the solicitor in the first instance sure. that can kind of highlight your mm-hmm. rights and entitlements so that you're aware because as a barrister like we're always brought in when mm. you're at the door of the tribunal and yeah. then we sit down and we look over you know well what happened at the grievance meeting yeah. what happened at the grievance appeal did you raise this at the time mm-hmm. and there's all these questions that we're obviously coming and looking at with hindsight yeah whereas in some cases, if people had gone and sought advice at the time, mm-hmm. um, they may not have ended up at the tribunal stage. Mm-hmm. Fab advice and really, really um, great tips there. Just, I suppose, on, a, on another note, you were recently nominated for an Inspirational Women in Law Award by Next 100 Years. 
Yes, that's congratulations! Great. That's Thank fantastic. you. Fantastic. Um, we, we should also I should also highlight um, Jenny Murr from Northern Ireland. Uh huh. Um, actually received. I was shortlisted, but Jenny fantastic. received received the award. the award from Northern Ireland. Wow, um, brilliant! For her initiatives around diversity. Um, yeah. I think with Danska Bank off the top of my head, I think that's who she works with. Um, so just a shout out to her, and it's really it's a testament to yeah. um you know the kind of initiatives that are going on in Northern Absolutely. Ireland. Absolutely, that's um, fantastic. And yeah. there's some really positive examples of mm-hmm. um, positive action happen, happening so it's not all negative it's not all negative we were yeah. talking about that earlier myself and we were just like we should highlight some really good news stories as well because yeah. there's a lot happening in Northern Ireland at the moment too in terms of bills progressing and stuff that's been on the table for a very long time finally starting to move through in the midst of everything going on so um, not just in um, employment and in other areas too but on that, I suppose, this is a recognition of women in law in particular and the achievements that, that women um, make in, in this profession. But we're kind of touching this a little bit, but just in general, do you think that women working in, in this profession do experience barriers when it comes to career progression? I'm thinking maybe, all, well, not just women with children, but how do you do you view that or do you think we've kind of moved on from that? Um, no, so... I think on this question, it's firstly very important to recognise that we've come a long mm-hmm. way. Um, and in Northern Ireland in recent years, we now have our first Lady Chief Justice. Yes. We have a female Justice Minister. Fantastic. We have a female that's ahead of the um, Law Society. And that was showcased mm-hmm. by the Law Society's event this week. Um, so that is great to see. But... Um, Notwithstanding that, there still are challenges. And from my perspective, the key challenges would be um, women feeling pigeonholed into certain areas. Mm -hmm. Um, The fact that female counsel, there has been research um, done in England that came out a few weeks ago to say that um, the research is showing that female counsel are generally paid less than their male counterparts across the board. Um, there's also challenges navigating maternity leave, um, mm-hmm. you know, for female barristers particularly. And it's given the setup and the fact that we're self-employed and regardless of what profession you're mm-hmm. in, it's always challenging. Um, you know, and a few of my friends, for example, are hairdressers yes. and um, they're generally self-employed and they also felt similar pressures to, Absolutely. you know, return yeah. to work because it's not easy um, to survive on statutory maternity no. allowance. Um and feed three children mm-hmm. um, so there's always I think a pressure to return and get back and a major one um, for the bar would be the issue of female retention and this has been an issue you know for quite a number mm-hmm. of years and there are you know strategies and actions ongoing to address that but it doesn't seem to be an issue with females coming in okay like at the institute for example there's plenty of um female barristers coming in it's generally 50 50 okay um but it's the retention yeah and it's when you get to the stage um where you're maybe considering having a family and there's there's research ongoing in that regard in terms of the reasons as to why mm-hmm. um, people feel it generally seems to be five years and up that um, it's difficult to navigate and they you know potentially leave at that stage mm. and go on um, to do something else yeah. or um, to have more security in terms of an employed role. It's so um, common though yeah. it is. I mean I know so many women who have faced that that issue so yeah I mean it's certainly and it'll be interesting to see what the research leads to 
yeah. in that, on that. Um, and, and there has been really positive action. I know from mm. the bar, they now have a maternity policy, which I've availed of. Okay. Um, and that's been very positive. So we get a break in our fees, um, you know, while we're off on maternity. And mm-hmm. also, um, I was delighted that they have recently established a breastfeeding room in the bar library. Brilliant. Um, which is amazing. And like, even since I came to the yeah. bar in 2016, um, in 2016, breastfeeding wasn't really talked about. Um, and I know I've been quite open about yes. my own breastfeeding journey on LinkedIn and um, that's been very positive and the amount good. of people that reach out to you and say Fantastic. like good on you uh-huh. like I'm trying to do this as well um, and even starting that conversation yeah. um, is very powerful absolutely um, and I, I kind of like reflect on my own personal journey um, from when I had Annie yes. um, because I was more junior at the bar at that mm-hmm. time and I was like oh you know I'm too scared to say that I'm breastfeeding yeah. or I need time or mm-hmm. I need a break during a hearing in order to pump whereas now with Matilda um, I actually um, felt more confident in myself yeah. um, and I think Covid's had an impact on that too mm-hmm. um, and with Matilda and some of my hearings I was able to say to judges mm-hmm. within the tribunal both male and female mm-hmm. um, I'm uh, recently returning from maternity leave I'm breastfeeding and as a reasonable adjustment for mm-hmm. myself yeah um as female counsel would you mind if I have an extra 10 minutes on the lunch break to enable me to pump and they were fab Brilliant. um and I actually managed to get my own room and fridge um in the tribunal um yeah. to allow me to do that which is just amazing, amazing and I'm, yeah. I, I'm so grateful um to be able to do that and I was in the tribunal the other week and they actually have a purple poster on the wall now saying breastfeeding welcome here and that actually it nearly brought a tear to my eye because I thought as a result of me um speaking out and speaking up about an issue that is so simple Mm -hmm. you know an extra 10 minutes for lunch and really you know it doesn't when you stand back and look at it um you know it doesn't take a lot to mm-hmm. you know make small changes which really have such a major impact yeah and to make it the norm I mean hopefully we see that um throughout Northern Ireland and, and everywhere that 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 really encourages people not to be afraid and but I think just from everything we've spoken about today that is so inspirational to anybody listening today I mean I didn't I didn't realize that and I didn't realize those changes had been made but I have followed you on LinkedIn and I know you've shared your journey but I think it's so important for people to do that and it's also quite brave as well I mean not everybody's comfortable doing that but you know that you're bringing other people along with you and it's great that people have contacted you women have contacted you about that and hopefully that will be you know um a reason for for change so I mean on that, I suppose you're you're very much. Um, does does your work is your work informed? I suppose, or your your opinions, or the type of employment law that you really want to highlight by your role as a mother and your experience with your children. Yeah. I would say absolutely. Yeah. Um, becoming a mother changes everything. Um, and it's a major um, life transition, mm-hmm. I would say, in itself. But I think since I've become a mother myself, I think I have more empathy mm-hmm. um, with some of the issues that you see in these types of cases. And you can understand um, the need for additional breaks in order to pump or breastfeed and how stressful that is. Um, and I know pre-COVID when we didn't have the virtual hearings again <laughs> with Annie, um, 
there was a time where I was on maternity and I was trying to come back for a keeping in touch day and that was when the um, CMDs in them days were in person in Kelly Mill House right. and I had thought oh this is going to be relatively quick it will take an hour and I had my husband Ben Hi Ben, Hi ben. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, <laughs> he was in the Radisson Hotel with Annie because I was still breastfeeding her at that stage mm-hmm. and um, the hearing went on for longer than I expected. Oh. Um, and like Ben was texting me saying like... I'm feeling the anxiety. Yeah, uh, Annie's <laughs> kicking off, she needs fed oh. and I'm thinking, no, like how much longer? Yeah. Um, you know, can this yeah. go on for? Can we wrap this up? But actually um, it was fine. And again, in that situation, I had the confidence to say actually dodge you know I am returning from maternity I'm breastfeeding would you mind um if I took a break here for 10 minutes to mm-hmm. sort Annie out and we can uh, return and there was understanding yeah. in that circumstance and what I would highlight as well is the importance of understanding from male colleagues and male champions mm-hmm. and I have actually found my male counterparts have been more than understanding yeah. and accommodating and you know if I find myself that it, because obviously as your child mm-hmm. you know grows up it's not as much of an issue now because mm-hmm. you know uh, Matilda's not breastfeeding as much um, but it's in them early days yeah. when you're trying to navigate and get feeding established that you need more of a leeway uh-huh. um, and I think you can't use it and take the biscuit either um, but in the right circumstance and I, I think, you know, if you're going to a judge and say, look, I need 10 minutes or I need to start slightly later. And I think as I, you know, progress in the legal profession, I've become more confident mm-hmm. in asking for small adjustments where necessary for myself. And as a result, this is not about me. Mm-hmm. This is about um, changing things for the better mm-hmm. across the board and making it easier um, for females um, coming behind. And um, really, because it, even in coming to speak to you, Sarah, mm-hmm. and being part of this, the word activism, yeah. um, it kind of scared me a bit. <laughs> <I know. It's laughs> um, me <laughs> because I was like oh uh, I, don't, I don't see myself yeah. as an activist like what does activism mean mm-hmm. and initially like I kind of um you know in my head I see myself with a placard like protesting yeah, at something no. and I'm like no 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 <laughs> that's not me um no that's not me but yeah um but whenever you google like what is activism <laughs> activism it's taking small steps um in order to achieve change mm-hmm. and I think like some of the examples that we've talked about today that you know having the confidence um to politely explain and ask a judge um look can I have that time over lunch to enable me to breastfeed that I suppose if I stand back and reflect on that arguably is activism it is absolutely um and and the impact that can have going forward and the fact that you're able to share that and it is within your profession it is within you know our kind of legal profession but it doesn't really matter where it is the fact that you know you're highlighting those small changes I am sure people listening into to this uh, podcast and particularly this part of the conversation will really take note and think wow you know that is a small change to ask for but as you said you know it's not it's, it's where you see it's necessary to ask for a small adjustment and I think that's it but the impact that that has potentially on women in general and in the workplace is quite significant and it's not just an issue within the legal profession no, I, no. I, I think women 
um, are gaining more confidence mm-hmm. at times as a result of COVID to ask for more flexibility. Yes. Um, and I see that across the board um, with employers where mm-hmm. women are maybe saying, okay, during lockdown, I mm-hmm. prove that I can do my job remotely. I can work in a more flexible way. So going forward, mm-hmm. could we look at me only coming into the office yeah. um, two days a week? I know my own mother, um, her pattern of working has completely changed mm-hmm. as a result of um COVID, um, she previously, pre-COVID, was in the office five days a week. Now they are in a position where um, they're going in maybe two or three days yeah. and working from, from home, home and they're set mm. up to do it, the others. And it really makes a difference. And back to the issue of balance, mm-hmm. like on the days where I'm working remotely mm-hmm. and I'm maybe on a virtual review or virtual consultation, like you can throw on a wash yeah. at lunchtime. <laughs> you can. Um, I love that. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just feel so accomplished at the end of the day. Yeah. That I don't have to come home to all of that if it is a case that I've worked from home. Yeah. Or you can like get the dinner started yeah. and prepared and ready. And I know our own personal setup, we have a daycare that's like five minutes away from our house. Mm. So like you see not having to like drive into Belfast every day, yeah. sit in traffic, battle to get home. Yeah. The stress of having to be there at the nursery on time like that has been all removed. the running yeah yeah the stress of that is, is is unbelievable when you're especially when you're busy at work and trying to fit all of that in but I think I, I agree with that is the balance that I like to achieve it's not you're never with I mean I'm, I'm wrecked today <laughs> with teething babies I feel very um, like out of sorts and, and not balanced at all but what I like is you know the weeks where yes you're busy at work but you're able to you know sort out some of your home stuff you know during the day and it kind of leaves time for you in the evening then you know to spend with with the kids and catch up on whatever it is you want to do to relax so that is um the balance that I'm certainly trying to achieve at the minute Uh, uh, and even it's not even um Mm. family or children specifically like I know I lost my granny um there to cancer in January um and and I know that other colleagues at the bar you know you have no idea what somebody's Mm. dealing with you know in terms of home life or care and responsibilities and as a result of COVID and virtual working like I would have went up to her house at lunchtime just to have um, lunch with her and there was one day um, you know when she just wasn't quite on her deathbed that she had called us and said look I've taken a real notion Mm -hmm. for a pasty supper supper. and I was like (laughs) right okay Give me 10 minutes, let me finish what I'm doing here. And we were able to go up and, you know, be part of that. And pre-COVID, that wouldn't have been possible because, you know, you would have been sitting at the back of a courtroom waiting Mm -hmm. to get on or waiting to finish Mm -hmm. a review. Mm -hmm. Whereas now, definitely the virtual um, system of working in Sightlink has provided opportunity um, to be more flexible and um, to prioritise moments like that, that really, when it comes down to it, that's what matters in really life. matters that is fantastic um and thanks for sharing that that's that's so lovely <laughs> um well just I mean you've given us a real insight into to your work and you've shared really great tips and advice but what about somebody listening in today what that are, is interested in following in your career footsteps what advice would you have for anybody Oh, um, so I had to take a few notes on this one as well. Um, so the things that came to mind, the first thing, you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always easy at times. And I think 
um, as women, imposter syndrome can be a real um, challenge. Mm-hmm. And my friend actually sent me a book on that this week. week. Um, shout out to Leah, thanks um, <laughs> for that. I really appreciate it. Um, but even whenever I'm doing all these things, at times I think to myself, who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, why am I doing this? Should I be speaking out? Should I be doing this? Um, but really, um, you know, magic things happen um, when you do. And it's only... I think in your head at times you think, oh, this is a major issue. It's a major issue for me to ask for this mm-hmm. extended break. But really, um, when you have that confidence and believe in yourself, it's mm-hmm. amazing what you can achieve um, whenever you do. Um, I also had never take no for an answer. <laughs> um, and there was an example on this. When I was at Harvard, um, I really wanted to do this course called Making of a Politician mm-hmm. because it was so popular and everybody wanted on it. <laughs> Making of a Politician. <laughs> yes. And I was like, well, being from Northern Ireland, I need to do this course. Yeah. I need to know what are we doing wrong over here. Yeah. Um, and it was very much computer says no at the start. Mm-hmm. They said the class is full, like there's no space, da 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 But I kept at the professor professor that Mm. was in charge of the course and I was like I need to do your course I want your content so I actually um attended and just sat on the floor at the back and I was like look I'm just here like I've bought your materials I want to hear this information and eventually um a few people in the class dropped out and I got an official place on in in the class and was able to (laughs) participate um and part of the assessment was we had to run this political campaign yeah. um, and the brief was right one of your classmates has to run as president mm-hmm. and you have to run it as if you're running for president mm-hmm. and then we will have a debate um, in the Kennedy uh, Centre at Harvard at the end of it and I was the campaign manager and my candidate won <laughs> um, and I cannot tell you how good that experience was and that, yeah. that really showed me that if you have enough enthusiasm, drive and resilience um, that really you can um, achieve what you want to achieve and um, do it very well. Fantastic. So. Great advice. Well, just finally, and I know we touched on this a little bit. We're going back to our, our word activist here. <laughs> <laughs> and it's something that we just close every episode with, with our, our guests. And um, I mean, I, I love the way you, you've touched on the issue around, you know, making small changes and you didn't even realise that that was I suppose, in inverted commas, activism. But in general, what does it mean to you, that, that term? And also um, within the law, how can we use it and how can we, you know, campaign and do, um, do things outside of general practice to affect change, do you think? Mm. And, and this was the question, Sarah, that I probably found the most challenging. Mm-hmm. And I think it came from... Um, being uncomfortable mm-hmm. with the word itself mm-hmm. and actually getting to grips with, well, what does that mean in reality? Um, but I suppose when I thought about it, um, for me, I think it is remaining at the bar, remaining at the legal um, you know, profession and going through that and navigating motherhood on the side and being more open about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think it's something that, Um, we should shy away from Uh because, I mean, um, everybody has family, everybody has a life outside of the Uh legal profession and I think it's so important that people see the human side, Mm -hmm. that we're open and honest, um, maybe not always in LinkedIn, um, but even with, you know, Mm -hmm. amongst us as the legal profession and being open with colleagues to say, oh, 
I'm having a really like hard day mm-hmm. or I've been up half the night with a teething mm-hmm. baby and I think even um, culturally um, having more openness about the challenges that we face as women um, can be really powerful and it can allow people to see um, that I'm not super mum that it's not mm-hmm. you know all smooth and some days it's hard um, but I think you know that openness creates a real supportive working environment mm-hmm. and makes navigating um, three under three um, with the bar a lot easier. Three under three, I still can't get my around <laughs> that. And all the work you're doing, oh my goodness. Well, Emma, I have wanted you on the show for such a long time and I have to say you did not disappoint. I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation I look forward to having many more with you I hope and I hope to have you back on because it's just been so engaging and so insightful thank you so much for coming today well thank you and uh, I think the core aim for us all as women with um, in the legal profession and in line with the mm-hmm. international um, women's day topic this week is to make it easier for those coming behind us and um, you know people have already started that and the mm-hmm. glass ceiling has already been smashed it's great to see all um, these women at the top but there's still a lot of work um, that remains um, to be done absolutely and great to have you leading the way in many respects here thank you so much Emma thank you this podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how Granite Podcast Studio can help Record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio, which is based in the heart of Newry City. Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.